when I was in high school, there were no out kids. You know, there were very few uh, out people. Out wasn't even a, a term that we used. Even gay had just started becoming uh, used, you know, popularly. Um, you know, occasionally you might hear someone you know, whisper homosexual. But, you know, it wasn't until the, the 60s that, that people were even, you know, to talking openly about sex, period. And uh, so in, in high school, I, I sort of started coming to terms with, with uh, that I might maybe be gay, <laughs> it's very tentatively, but uh, it was just so scary. Again, remembering, you know, it was time when, you know, uh, homosexuality was considered a mental illness. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Today is such a meaningful interview because I get to talk to an author who helped me along my own coming out journey 14 years ago. So this is a very full circle moment for me. Now that I'm an LGBTQ plus scholar, college instructor, all those things, it means a lot to get to interview Alex Sanchez, who's published at least more than 10 novels. Um, including the American Library Association Best Book for Young Adults, Rainbow Boys, which is going to be our starting point. And he is also a Lambda Literary Award winner. So, hi, Alex. Thank you so much for joining me. Great. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So, I mean, I think my first question, if I had to ask anything of you, is why did you turn to writing? You know, was that... Was it because you needed to get a narrative out there that you thought would be best served in a creative format? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was back further than that. My, my mom, she was very creative. She was a, a watercolor artist. So she always encouraged my creativity and uh, the creativity of my friends. You know, she'd have a little art studio for, for me and uh, my friends. She, she'd come to my uh, school to teach art. So she was always very encouraging of everyone's creativity. So I think, uh, you know, uh, as, as I was growing up and, uh, you know, struggling with my, with my sexuality, uh, certainly, you know, writing became a way to uh, sort of like try to express, you know, what, what, what I, was, I was going through. When I was growing up, I mean, it was, it, you know, back in the dark ages before Glee and Will and Grace and, and all those that, you know, is back in the time where, you know, so many of us thought, you know, I'm the only one in the world with, with these feelings. And in middle school, you know, hearing all the uh, homophobic slurs, you know, and realizing, uh, whoops, that's what, that's, that's what I am, you know, I'm queer uh, at a time when queer was not, not a proud term to be using. And uh, so a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, loneliness and isolation. And so writing was a way to, to you know, put into words what I was experiencing. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have to tell me your age, but when you were in high school, is this the 80s? Oh, 70s. Okay. Okay. The 70s. Okay. Um, so did you come out like... How would you define your own coming out experience? Yeah, so, uh, you know, like I was saying, you know, when, when I was in high school, there were no out kids. You know, there were very few uh, out people. Out wasn't even a, a term that we used. Even gay had just started becoming uh, used, you know, 
popularly. Um, you know, occasionally you might hear someone you know, whisper homosexual, but you know, it wasn't until the the sixties that that people were even you know talk, talking openly about sex. Period. And uh, so, in in high school, I I sort of started coming to terms with, with uh, that I might maybe be gay. It's very tentatively, but uh, it was just so scary. Again, remembering, you know, it was time when, you know, uh, homosexuality was considered a mental illness. And, uh, you know, I, I, there weren't no books about gay, gay people at, at my school, but my dad was a college professor. So one night I went with him to the, uh, he was teaching a night class at the college and I went to the uh, library purportedly to do some research for school and I went you know to the that old thing called the card catalog and under age looked up homosexuality and so they had books in the psychology section and there I learned you know that it was a mental illness and you know for a, a teenager to you know, suddenly think oh my gosh you know I'm I'm not I'm you know, not well mentally and that, you know, if I acted on my feelings, you know, it was also a criminal offense. And yeah. so I could be arrested and jailed. So it was such a vastly different time. And it's just been a breathtaking, the, the change that has occurred in, in our culture, you know, uh, in the last 50 years or so. So it wasn't until after high school when I went to college that I started uh, meeting other uh, uh, gay and lesbian people. Uh, who, you know, it was a wonderful time of uh, connection and uh, sort of feeling like, you know, there are others like me, I'm not alone. And how powerful that is when we, we realize, you know, I'm not the only one. Yeah, well, and where, you know, where did you call home for high school? And then where did you call home for college? Yeah, so uh, high school, I was living in Norfolk, Virginia at the time, <laughs> which, you know, has changed a lot since then. But uh, back then it was just uh, uh, not not very socially advanced uh, place to, to grow up in. And I remember as a, as, a, as a boy, I was so desperate to leave. And, uh, you know, I would buy the New York Times, you know, little gay kid, I would buy the New York Times Sunday and, and dream about one day uh, going to New York City, going to live in New York City, where there was this mythical place called Greenwich Village, where I knew, you know, that that there were people who were, you know, bohemian and artistic and different, you know, all those uh, euphemisms we used back then. Uh, and so then where I ended up going to college was uh, Virginia Tech. I went to study architecture, ended up with a liberal arts degree of um, architecture, uh, literature, and philosophy. And that's, that's when I started writing, when I started getting into reading and writing. And it was the first time I discovered, you know, uh, gay and lesbian authors, uh, you know, like uh, Edmund White and uh, Marie Renault, who wrote uh, The Persian Boy. And then through uh, some friends heard about this uh, really groundbreaking book, uh, The Front Runner. Uh, Gay novel. Oh, who wrote the front runner, Alex? Patricia Nell Warren. Oh, okay. Okay. I was going to say, I loved The Persian Boy when I read yeah. it in high school, too. But that's because I'd been assigned The King Must Die. And yeah, I was, but I also was assigned The Handmaid's Tale and like some very sexually um, advanced topics. Um, you know, and even talked about Perks of being a wallflower and, um, well, you know, and the way actually that I discovered Rainbow Boys was through my um, high school library, I'm pretty sure, because I had also seen it in Barnes and Noble because you had, you know, a dedicated section in the teen section under, L well, I think then it would have been gay and lesbian literature. Um, so I saw like getting it and I think the God box had come out because we're talking around 2008. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to jump into, well, actually, first I want to know, did you get your Manhattan dream? Did you ever actually live in New York City? 
No, what happened was that after Norfolk, my, my parents um, moved to Washington. So I ended up spending a lot of time in Washington. So there'd be, you know, it was like a five hour trip to, to New York. And so I had uh, lots of visits, but uh, sort of the, the idea of, of living there sort of wore off, I think, as a city. Uh, it's, I love visiting there, but I think it's, it's, it's just too overwhelming. Uh, you know, I, I feel so puny when I'm there. It's like I'm this little, little, little fish in this huge, huge ocean. So, yeah, I, I left that dream and developed other dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, though. I kind of I feel that. Psychologically, I enjoy that fight, but it can be you have to find your comfort zone in a city like New York. Um, but you know, speaking of authors, you talked about Greenwich Village. So I have to ask you, right? Allen Ginsberg is such a gay martyr writer. Um, James Baldwin, um, even Andrew Holleran's Dancer from the Dance, right? Like, and these are all texts that would have been around when you were in high school. But like, when did you discover that um, queer literature existed in that way? Yeah, it was really, it was really after, after high school, you know, when, you know, after I graduated, that's when my parents moved to Washington, uh, D.C. So I moved up there with them for a time. And uh, this little, uh, there was a little head shop there, you know, that sold, you know, uh, marijuana paraphernalia. <laughs> and also had uh, uh, a very small, I think it's probably just a couple of shelves of books. And it was uh, Lambda Rising. It became Lambda Rising Bookstore. Wow. And so that's when I first, you know, uh, and, through, and through my friends at college started discovering that. But again, it's like, you know, it's just amazing now how many uh, there are at the time. It was like I say, it was a, a couple of shelves, you know, the books that you mentioned, Andrew Hollerins and others. I mean, they were starting, starting to come out. Yeah, and like the queer media, you know, the what became you know one of the biggest uh, papers for uh, a time, the Washington Blade. It started out as as you know this little mini mimeograph, you know, back where there was this thing called the mimeograph machine that you know made copies, multiple copies of things. It was you know even before photocopiers were just starting, and they would come out this thing that that you know is it, it was literally it's like you know type typing paper, you know stapled together and you could get you know copies of it at some of the local bars there and at the time uh the drinking age was uh, 18 uh, for uh, for beer and wine in dc so it was my uh, first experience of, of gay bars and and you know pre-internet that was the way you know so oftentimes you know we connected as as men and women and so and then could those up so and it was also through uh, uh, Lambda, Lambda Rising that they uh, started this uh, uh, gay youth group. And so that was uh, my first experience even, you know, after high school, but, you know, before I went to Virginia Tech of uh, meeting other uh, uh, gay guys. And, uh, you know, Georgetown University, this, this uh, Catholic institution, renowned Catholic university, they had an alternative radio station and they actually had this, this program on uh, gay and lesbian uh, issues. Oh, wow. And I heard, heard that and that was how I connected with Lambda Rising and the, and the gay youth group, found out about gay bars, and able to start connecting with other people. But again, it's, it's hard to imagine, you know, it was such a secretive subculture at the time. And, uh, such a different experience and it's, I think last time it's, it's hard to capture that for younger people today just what a different reality it was so I'm actually working on a, a memoir now and what I'm trying to do is capture some of what that was like living living in that, that isolation and, and loneliness you know oh that's so wonderful and what is your memoir do you have a title for it yet no, no, it's, oh, okay. it's taking forever to write. Well, I'm excited to read it. So hopefully, you know, definitely um, we'll have you back on here uh, to talk cool. about your memoir. Um, well, so, you know, I work on Walt Whitman 
and Oscar Wilde, especially, they're like my main academic research areas when I'm not doing contemporary LGBTQ reading. Um, and like you said, it's secretive codes, more about trying to even just see homoerotic desire between men, like is the speaking outside that language of sexuality. Cause like you said, the language didn't really exist. And especially in the 1800s, it's these hidden codes. So I returning to your trilogy and I was listening to um, the audiobook since I've read it, I wanted to get that experience. I love your audiobooks. Um, I need to shout him out. I think Alston Brown is the right, reader. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And I love that they're available for free on Audible. The trilogy is of Rainbow Boys. Was that a decision that you had any part in or? No, I didn't even know that that was happening. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so it's really accessible. Uh, to oh, any you mean free if you're, if you're a member, you mean? Yeah, free if you're an Audible member. Yeah, yeah, you just, yeah get um, your whole trilogy. Um, but I think it's so interesting that I hadn't recognized that the high school in the trilogy is called Walt Whitman. And it had passed me at that time because I wasn't yet in my Whitman craze. But, you know, why Walt Whitman? Was, is there something to that DC Civil War nurse experience that you gravitated towards? No, that's just, you know, what they call nowadays, that was just an Easter egg that I planted in there, you know, for, you know, people like you to say, hey, <laughs> readers like you, hey. So that's just a, a shout out to him. And, uh, you know, for someone who, uh, you know, maybe uh, reading and not realize, you know, that Walt Whitman was gay. And uh, so, yeah, I always like to use things like that to sort of uh, point out that, yeah, We've, we've always been around, always will be regardless of what happens. Yeah, no, exactly. And so when do you remember a day of thinking about Rainbow Boys? Like, do you remember when the idea started to come into your mind? Yeah, so what happened was, you know, even though I'd started writing in college, it was, uh, I had a real hard time, you know, we talked about writer's block, you think about the blank page or the blank screen, not knowing what to write. That was never my problem. I always had ideas uh, to come up with. But what would happen with me was, you know, it was so scary to write about, you know, who I really was, my desires, my innermost thoughts and feelings. Um, I, I think, you know, it can be uh, scary for anyone, regardless of sexual orientation, you know, to really put ourselves on the page and be, be honest about uh, our, ourselves. Uh, so what would happen with me was my block was finishing things. You know, I'd start these, you know, uh, stories. I had a lot of initiative, momentum going. And then when they started to become too personal, too intimate, too revealing, too honest, then I'd be like, oh, this is getting hard. You know what? I got a better idea. I don't think this one's working. And I realized what wasn't working was how challenging it was for me to be honest on the page. And so finally, I, I just, you know, had all these piles of, of unfinished manuscripts and realized this is not working. This is painful to not be finishing things. So uh, at the time, I had a couple of uh, creative friends. Uh, one was a songwriter, the other was a paper mache artist. And we were, uh, you know, uh, we, you know we, we were friends and we decided we'd encourage each other in our projects they were having their own struggle so it was uh, thanks to them that then I wrote this uh, a sh short story uh, about two teenage boys and I think what what was going on was that you know I had all these uh, bottled up feelings from from when I was growing up in middle school and in high school where you know I I never got a chance to articulate what was going on for me at the time so I felt myself going back to that time in life and and giving voice to, to those feelings. You know, my my muse is this inner teenager, you know, wants to say all the things I was not able to say uh, at that time. And so I wrote this short story about two boys, but there there wasn't much conflict. And so I thought, you know what, if I throw a third boy in there, 
then it creates this whole triangle uh, dynamic, which just adds a lot of energy to the story. So that's how uh, Rainbow Boys came about. So I started writing it. Uh, and I remember because I had taken on a new job at the time. So this was 1993. And so it allowed me uh, a way to go back to my own struggles growing up. And at the time, I mean, I was out, but not to everyone. So I was still going through my own coming out process, which, you know, here I am, you know, the 20, 25 years later, you know, it's still 30 years later, it's still, you know, coming out as a lifelong process. And so I started work, working on it. So it was that. And then the other thing that was happening at the time was that, you know, uh, young people, you know, high schoolers were starting to come out and uh, gay straight alliances were starting to, to, to form and, and listen was, uh, uh, had been, uh, formed. And so all these things, and so I was feeling so inspired by, uh, you know, young people who were, you know, coming, coming out and, and speaking out in ways that I hadn't been able to in, in high school. And the literature I, I was reading, um, you know, so much of gay literature at the time, it was all about the dysfunctionality of mm. uh, being gay. You know, because of that secretiveness, the closetedness, uh, you know, uh, what we called at the time, you know, hustlers, uh, you know, uh, making money off sex, and then, you know, alcoholic men who fell in love with the hustlers, and just all this tragic drama and suicides and, and, and drugs, and just all this dysfunction. And it's like, why isn't anyone writing the stories about what so exciting now about young people coming out and connecting. And so um, I, I, that's, that's how Rainbow Boys came about. So like, when was this? Like when, well, when did you add that third character into your? So that was 93. 93. That was 93. Oh, okay. Okay. So you, you had, you were working on the narrative of Rainbow Boys into the 90s <laughs> like but it's really so what, what, what happened was that so yeah I started in 93 and then I figured okay I'm gonna I'm gonna write a novel I'm gonna finish a novel and how long can that take oh it'll take a year and uh, so my friends they were you know very supportive and encouraging but it started you know one year turned into two and and I was having some struggles with it and they were like why don't you take a, um, a writing workshop in writing workshop and when I previously when I had gone to a grad school I wanted to go uh, for uh, uh, an MFA in creative writing and I took one one course and the instructor was just very negative and and it just didn't work and so uh, that really put me off set me back so when my when my friends and I think part of it was you know this homophobic vibe from him when I, you know, started uh, making some allusions to gay characters. So when I, when my friend suggested a, a writing a workshop, then uh, there was a local place called the Writers' Center in Washington, D.C. So they had a novel writing workshop. So I, I said, I'm going to check the instructor this time. So I called, called up the instructor and I said, I'm working on this, this, this manuscript. It's a novel about a love triangle between three high school senior teenage boys she's like oh, that sounds wonderful I'd love to have you in my in my class and so I'm like okay great and so it was uh through her she really liked my writing and uh, she said let me know when you're done with the manuscript and and I'll recommend you to my agent so two years became three years became four years became five years and finally my friend said we think you're done send it send it and so as she connected me to Miriam Altshuler, uh, who read it, uh, suggested some changes. And I'm like, I'm not going to change it. And fortunately, my friends were like, you know, she's an agent. She knows what she's talking about. So I made the changes she suggested and then sent it back. And then she was like, I love what you did. This is wonderful. I'd really like to take this to the young adult publishing house. I'm like, well, I didn't write this, you know, as young adults. I want everyone to read this. And, I, 
And she's like, okay, well, it's up to you. And again, it was my friends who were like, well, why don't you let her give it a shot? So, and so she's the one who took it to the publishers. They didn't know what to do with it because there, you know, there was this sort of unspoken rule is, you know, the, the gay teen, gay and lesbian teen characters had started coming out, but there was sort of like this unspoken rule. They had to, you know, uh, uh, commit suicide or die tragically. You know, they couldn't have a happy ending. Uh, and so, you know, Rainbow Boys, I was very clear when I was writing it, you know, no one's gonna die. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be an upbeat ending. Uh, and uh, so a lot of publishers didn't know what to do with it. And there's so much humor in it, but at the same time, you know, dealt with, with HIV, AIDS. And, and so finally, Simon Schuster, they got it. And they're like, we think this will be fantastic. You know, it was going to be groundbreaking. What they really loved about it was that aspect of the boys were connecting, you know, that they weren't these lone, lonely, uh, isolated characters. And so they saw that how by that time it was like the late nineties, how that was reflecting the writing. So they took the, uh, the risk with it. They were uh, concerned if it would be uh, lucrative because they said, oh yeah, you know, LGBT kids will buy this, but that's really a small market. And what none of us foresaw was, you know, those, those straight teenage girls who were starting those gay straight alliances because they had uh, gay and lesbian friends or parents or relatives and they love to read about boys and that they're gay is this bonus. And so they've, they've, they've made my career. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for laying that out, Alex, just because it is so, I think, comforting to know you can work on a project you know in a development stage that long as a writer and I mean I'm assuming you were working another job I was working another job and also part of what happens is that uh, uh, the, the really the only way to learn how to write a novel was by writing a novel and that just takes time to, to learn and to try things trial and error and get feedback on it and revise and, and rewrite, and, you know, add characters, characters, add scenes, cut scenes. So it, I think the average time for a first novel is about four to six years. You know, writers love to boast about, you know, that novel that only took, you know, six months to write, but that's, that's not usually the case. Yeah, yeah. Well, and did Simon and Schuster, in your um, contract, did they then decide that this would become a trilogy or is that something that developed after the release of Rainbow? yeah that, that's something that, that developed after uh the manuscript went production then i had a meeting with the editor and he's he's the one who suggested a sequel mm. and so by that point i mean as much as i love the characters i was sick of them because it had been you know <laughs> Five years of my own revision, then then a year of the agent shopping it around, and then two years of uh, editing and production. It's like I don't want to write a sequel. I want to move on to other things. And so again, it was you know the people in my life. It was my agent who said, "Well, you know, it's up to you." But you realize they're offering to pay you for a sequel, okay? And so then. Once I started writing it, it's like, oh, this is so easy. I didn't know why I was so resistant to it. And quickly whipped out half, you know, 100, 100 plus pages, sent them to the editor. And then I didn't hear from him for a couple of months. Finally, he called and he's like, let's talk about the sequel. He says, you want to know why most sequels suck? And I thought, this is not a good start. And he's like, you know, uh, people have fallen in love with the characters, but they want, you know, a, a, a you know, new and different story where the characters really grow and change. And so I had to go back and start, you know, what became Rainbow High started all over again and really look at, you know, so, and that's what's hard about a, a, a really compelling sequel is, you know, in, in a novel, the characters have undergone this process of growth and change and now to have them grow and change even more it's like that's that's the hard emotional work you know coming up with a plot is easy but a plot that really reveals character transformation that's that's harder 
And uh, so what I found worked to, to my advantage was with these characters was that, you know, that I was then able to look at, you know, how does the coming out process, how, you know, as I said earlier, the, you know, this, the sense of an ongoing lifelong process, what are the, what's the next level for those three boys coming out? Mm. And then uh, after that, then when they proposed the third book, and it's like, okay, what would be the next level of not just coming out, but in terms of their, their growing and maturing, uh, you know, as young men and as friends, how, how is that friendship uh, relationship developing? Yeah, well, and when you read Rainbow Boys, there is a cliffhanger, or at least like you can tell there's going to be a lot of um, tension that needs to be resolved. So did you work hard on a type of cliffhanger of suspense or that just was how? Okay, hold on to that question because we'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. No, I thought, you know, what you're saying, I appreciate you're saying that. And, you know, I started hearing that from other people at the time. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I thought, I thought the story was pretty resolved. And they were like, no way, you got to write more. I, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Especially with Jason, I feel right. So for everyone out there, if you don't know the three young men, Jason, Kyle, and Nelson, and Jason, Ray has just come out and he's maybe dating Kyle, but not sure how he views being boyfriends. So like, to me, that was the cliffhanger is what is Jason going to do with Kyle? Like, are they actually going to become official? Jason enters um, the gay straight Alliance for the first time at the end of the novel. And, you know, my thought when I turned to rainbow high is I was really worried Jason was going to turn his back on Kyle and like go back into the jock life without coming out. So, you know, I could see the soap opera element. Yeah, I mean, as, as you know, you're describing it, I mean, it's so clear looking back on it, but at the time it's like, <laughs> it was not that clear. Yeah, well, and when you were writing, do you remember when Queer as Folk came out? Like that, it wasn't during Rainbow Boys. It must've been yeah, it was early two thousands, right? Yeah, it was later because yeah, when it when it came out, it was sort of like uh, oh, there was a time there where where we were really working very hard to try to get you know some uh, screen interest, you know, movie or TV interest uh, in in the books, and it just it didn't work out. But uh, we certainly pitched it to the queers folk uh, producers and others. Yeah. Has there ever been any pickup again on your work being like not just the Rainbow Boys trilogy, but any of your work going to the screen in a capacity? Yeah. Over the years, there have been, you know, all these nibbles, but cracking Hollywood is just so it's so hard. And so it's not, you know, just a couple of weeks ago now. So in 2017, out of the blue, I got this this uh, email from DC Comics asking, you know, uh, telling me that they were developing a line of uh, middle grade and YA a graphic novel, and would I like to, you know, explore the possibility of working with them? Mm. And you know, it's exceedingly rare for a publisher to reach out to a writer, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And so we had a conversation. I said, you know. Uh, I, I don't have any experience writing comics and they're like, oh, that's okay. You can, you can learn, you know, we're excited about you because you know how to tell stories and you know how to tell stories and especially about um, 
18 boys and we have this character Aqualad and we, we want someone who can write a, a novel about this 18 uh, superhero uh, character. So I was, you know, so excited by the idea because I, I, you know, again, transporting back to when I was a young person, just imagining, boy, if I had read a comic book about a gay teen superhero, that would have just you know, been so empowering, so life-changing, uh, potentially. And then also it's like, and you know what? It's like, uh, it's such a wonderful metaphor for being queer. You know, mm -hmm. we're in so many cases, you know, especially growing up, we have this secret identity, you know, we're, we're living a double life and there's this, you know, powerful super villain out there that's, you know, homophobia, transphobia, biphobia that, you know, we're, we, you know, it's constantly, you know, we're in danger of. And so, uh, I loved working that project. It, it, you brought me the ocean was the uh, is the title, uh, and it came out uh, losing track. I think 21, 2021, uh, maybe twenty twenty. Just a couple of years ago, it came out. You brought me the ocean, and just so just a couple of weeks ago, I heard that that uh, HBO Max is uh, developing it as a uh, live action uh, miniseries. Oh, congratulations, Alex. Well, thank oh, this you. is yeah. wonderful. Okay. So again, this is Hollywood. So hopefully it will happen. But until hopefully. You know, we actually, I know. We actually yeah. see it, it could be, you know, in development for the next 10 years. And I know. Well, and I've had, <laughs> you know, I've had, well, with DC Comics, that is a really good yeah. uh, pipeline to the screen. Um, I mean, it would be one of the, uh, first, like very openly, especially it's a male protagonist, right? Yeah, Alex. Yeah. So I think it would be one of the first openly, like queer men on in a comic, uh, yeah. on the screen. Yeah. Um. So I'm hoping that comes out. I'll be one of the first to watch it. And um, you know, I was excited to see you had worked on that graphic novel. Um, because. Like another other projects that I've heard are in development are um, Stephen Rowley's The Gunkle, um, Lev Rosen's Camp, um, that Billy Porter is directing, I think. So I hope you all get out there because I think there needs to be more just, you know, LGBTQ plus content. Um, but, you know, like you said, we're in a different type of renaissance now like there is a lot of series to turn to um so like are you surprised you know are you surprised to see like where queerest folk i think it's safe to say was like one of the first um very openly queer shows uh for hb well no stars i think um oh showtime thank you um so to now have Love Simon um, and uh, Pose. Um, Euphoria has a queer character um, that like queer characters are integrated now. The Gilded Age, I just started watching that and there's a same sex <laughs> encounter that I was excited to see. Like, are you surprised how integrated now queerness is into TV? Yeah, I mean, delightfully sur sur surprised, but it, it, that's why I say it's just been it's just been breathtaking, you know, in my lifetime just to see how quickly the change has occurred. Yeah. And uh, I think you know a lot of the right wing uh, uh, backlash that is going on now is like putting it in perspective. It's like sure, it's really understandable because you know not only has technology changed so much, but in you know parallel to that has been the cultural change both here in the U.S. and, and around the world. It's just been, you know, really breakneck news. Um, so. Yeah, well, and congratulations too, because I think, you know, if I don't get the title right, let me know, but you won, or in 2021, Rainbow Boys was um, considered one of the best 100 books of LGBTQ teen literature, is that right? Um, maybe, but it was also Time Time Magazine. They're 100 uh, best YA books of all time. Whoa, of all time. Oh, wow. Congratulations. See, 
I'm, but that's why, do you, do you recognize the prolific status of Rainbow Boys for those who have come out? Like, do you, how do you feel about that journey? Cause I'm sure so many who've read your work have turned to you, emailed you, wrote letters when that was popular. Like, you know, how does it feel to be on so many people's coming out journeys? Well, that's probably been the most rewarding part of my my career has been, you know, uh, hearing that, you know, from people like you and and just having gotten, you know, at the time, just so many uh, emails from young people, you know, telling me how, you know, their lives had changed for the, for the better, uh, you know, uh, through reading my books and and, uh, you know, nowadays there's just so many other books. So hearing from them, you know, young people who uh, told me about, you know, having been suicidal and, and you know, reading and rereading, you know, my books as, as a lifeline, giving them hope that, you know, just like I was this little a queer boy, you know, reading the New York Times, you know, thinking, you know, there's a place where I can be myself, you know, giving, because it wasn't, you know, again, it wasn't that long ago where, or, you know, before the internet where that sense of isolation all over America, you know, queer young people, you know, not, not being able to connect, not knowing that there was someone else. And so hearing, you know, getting those letters is just a tremendously rewarding, you know, gave my life a whole new uh, meaning and purpose. And, and now, you know, at this point in my career, you know, being able to, you know, pass on what, what I've learned uh, uh, to others. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been a wonderful journey and, and it's continuing. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any like, you know, younger LGBTQ authors? I'm sure there are. So I'm curious, has, is there anyone you can talk about who's reached out to you like along their own writing journey, like in a type of mentorship? Uh, not, not specifically. Just the last uh, a couple of years, I uh, last, starting last year, I started um, teaching at, at at a college, and there working with uh, you know queer queer writers is is very gratifying, you know to to share with them, uh, but uh, yeah, none none specifically that uh, that I could mention. Yeah, I mean sometimes I wonder is there a um you know, queer writing uh, secret meetings that happen, like where you, Michael Cunningham, uh, you know, like all Gregory Maguire, they all like, you all come together and have soirees, <laughs> soirees but it doesn't seem yeah, the, like that exists yet. Well, the closest I came to that was that, you know, again, you know, as part of my learning writing journey, you know, with these uh, uh, creative friends, and at the time, I came across the Provincetown, uh, Massachusetts mm. uh, Fine Arts uh, Work Center. And I'd heard about uh, Michael Cunningham. And so I took a workshop with him. And then uh, there was another queer writer, uh, Richard McCann. Uh, he, was, he was teaching there. So they had these summer workshops. And every summer I would go on vacation there. And so, uh, you know, it was both that what I was able to learn with them, you know, uh, about writing and then just being in, in their presence. And, uh, you know, that, that, you know, experience of them that, you know, I, I could aspire to be, you know, a, a queer, uh, queer writer, you know, like, like them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, are there any, like, are there any uh, queer writers that you turn to, like, who are still living? Uh, probably Edmund White more than anyone. Yeah, and yeah. he's still going. Still going. But, you know, uh, you mentioned Lev Rosen. And uh, when you brought me the ocean came out, I think Camp, Camp was coming out. And so we, we the, our publishers got us together to do a couple of events and, Oh, that's nice. And, uh, you know, read each other's books, to, to bl uh, blurb them or, or whatever. And uh, reading his stuff, man, it's like, you know, 
wow, it's sort of like he's he's taken uh, the openness of being queer, you know, a whole whole new level uh, in terms of you know uh, sexuality and physicality, and just, just I just love his writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was fun to interview him because I talked about camp with him. And soon I'm actually someone who I'm going to bring your name up because he has boys in the title too. But Phil Stamper just came out with Golden Boys. I heard of that. I haven't read it yet, but I heard. Yeah. Well, I will mention the Alex Sanchez to him. And because I'm sure he must have looked to Rainbow Boys. And like even just the title Rainbow Boys, how did you come up with Rainbow? Did you know it was going to be that or was that a marketing decision? So what happened was that there, there was a book of Michael Chabon had come out with the, the not the Golden Boys, but the Wonder Boys, right. the Wonder Boys. I, I like that. And I went to hear him. He, he wasn't quite so famous then. So he did uh, like a bookstore and there were like you know, reading and there were like 20 of us there. And uh, I liked him and I liked the title. And I thought, hmm, hmm, hmm. And I started playing with titles and I thought, well, rainbows, rainbows were, the rainbow flag was just, you know, being widely used then. And, and that was new. And so I thought, well, how about rainbow boys? Leave off the lead, just rainbow boys. And uh, at the same time, I was like, well, maybe, maybe. And then it was when I was visiting Simon Schuster and, and one of their uh, associate editors came running up to me. She's like, I love your magic. I love the title. How did you come up with that? And I'm like, you do really You think it works? She's like, every queer kid in America is going to know exactly what that book is about. But, you know, people who aren't queer, they, they won't. It's the sort of code. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, OK, I can see that. So again, all this stuff that you're, you're pointing out that it's, I'm delighted you're pointing it out, but it was like, I wasn't that clear about it just sort of happened. Yeah, yeah. Happy accidents. Yeah, well, and Rainbow has like taken on its own kind of genre because I've just been in conversation with Celia Lasky who wrote Under the Rainbow in 2020. So, you know, it's still, it's still thriving as um, yeah. a creative title. Um, so now I, everyone yeah. knows. <laughs> now everyone knows. I know, I know. I don't think it's as secretive anymore. Um, but you know, out of the three lead men, Kyle, Nelson, and Jason, right? I was just curious, um, who was the hardest to create? Like, who was the hardest character's journey for you to go on? Nelson, definitely. Because Nelson, you know, for people who don't know the book, he's the most, you know, out and outspoken and out there and far out, and way out there character. And so, I mean, it, he really challenged me to that level, being that level of outspokenness and outness. And as much as I, I loved the character, I, he ended up needing a lot of refining so that he could be uh, more vulnerable and more more lovable because I think he also he expressed a lot of my anger, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, growing up, uh, at the you know hypocrisy and injustice and and unfairness uh, and living in pain uh, of uh, you know growing up queer mm -hmm. and uh, so to write a character that that angry was just also hard to do to both anger on the page and at the same time make the character vulnerable vulnerable enough uh, that the uh, reader can uh, access and not be put off by him uh, so he was he was definitely the hardest the most challenging but he's turned out to be you know the character that so many people love love the most I think yeah. because of his uh, outspokenness and and uh, also you know his his uh, vulnerability. Yeah, no, it's really beautiful to see his authenticity and how he wears his identity on his sleeve, even though, it, <laughs> you know, like we, and it's such a real feeling because those who are the most vocal develop this type of skin where it seems like it's not affecting them. But of course, it is, you know, they're experiencing shame internally and like that psychological process where to me, Jason 
the out jock in that journey, like his shame is really how he's going to be received by his team. But once the team, you know, stands by him for the most part, um, except for, you know, a team member who's having some internalized homophobia, um, you know, maybe desires Jason, but that's another for another time. Um, um, that he, I'm impressed how Jason, like how you created him to come out on his basketball team, but then like not shy away from his identity. Like you didn't go into that trope of, well, maybe he'll acquiesce to certain um, ideal ideas of masculinity. Like, okay, well, I am gay, but I will not hang out with Nelson or I'll break up with Kyle and I'll try to find like a jock who also came out, you know, that he's not trying to find this um, position himself in a hierarchy. Yeah, no, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of the stories, you know, in, in the trilogy, they're also a lot of, you know, wish, wish fulfillment. Mm. Uh, and, and sort of, uh, I don't know if the word is sort of asp aspirational that, you know, when Rainbow Boys first, first start, uh, came out and I got uh, so many letters from young people saying to me that, you know, these boys were their role models. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that really scared me. It's like, no, 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 these boys screw up constantly. How can you have them be their, your role models? But I realized, no, because they saw them, you know, as people that, you know, were taking risks and they were experiencing the consequences. And, and that's, I think, part of the value of these sorts of books for young people that then they can, they can have a vicarious experience of, well, what if I decided this? Would I make the same decisions? What would I decide or what might be the, the, the consequences of that? So uh, my, my editor uh, taught me, you know, hey, you can have your characters do anything you want, but you got to show the consequences of, of their actions. And so for, uh, you know, a character like, like Jason, you know, it was sort of like, you know, realize, you know, but what would I want him to do, you know, and, you know, he can screw up along the way, but, you know, what would, how can I, you know, create a character that, you know, I would look up to, that mm -hmm. I would, I would admire, because, um, you know, my, my agent pointed out, you know, what, your books are always about being true to who you are, and, uh, you know, I, Every time I write a book, it's like this time it's going to be different. It's not going to be about that. And it turns out it's about that again. It's sort of like that's the story I have to tell. And they're, you know, as I'm discovering lots of different ways to tell that story, but it always turns out to be that story. It's like my voice, that's what I have to tell the world, true to yeah. who you are. Well, and I love that, like turning to your, whether it's the Rainbow Boys trilogy, whether, you know, it's getting it or you know, the God box bait um, that like, usually I know when I turn to your writing, we're going to go to the other side of the rainbow. Like we're literally going to <laughs> enter into empowerment, like where I do like call me by your name a lot, but that is not reparative. That's right. Queer fracturing. And that's a different narrative, you know, like that's, another and maybe that is a distinction i don't know between adult and teen i don't think so but i like that you can turn to your series and have that feeling of empowerment yeah oftentimes that is a distinction oh is it, it? okay oftentimes it is i mean you know even even in dystopian novels that there be a you know a hopeful upbeat ending hmm. yeah well yeah, now I have to look back and just see, okay, is there, um, I mean, if you haven't read it, Under the Rainbow does have some happy, <laughs> loose ends tied. Um, but like you're saying, I really don't think there's clear distinctions between teen and adult when it comes to especially what you're writing. And because there's very serious themes in Rainbow Boys. Like yeah. you said, an HIV scare, how am I going to have a boyfriend who has HIV? How am yeah. I going to tell my parents, right? That's, you know, there aren't easy feelings to register. No, YA, I mean, the, that's part of the attraction of it, that it does deal with a lot of, uh, you know, very real uh, issues that, that young people grapple with. Uh, 
but at the same time that that there is that uh, emotional journey that's uh, you know tends to be a positive whereas you know so much of you know uh literature oh my gosh that was so insane <laughs> I mean, lots of books i was like i get that's why I started writing Rainbow Boys because the literature out there was so depressing. It's like, why does anyone even want to read this? Except, you know, okay, I can identify myself in here, but is this who I want to be? Yeah. So, uh, so, so yeah, I was thinking about that. Well, like Brokeback Mountain, for example, that's the ending in tragedy trope, oh, yeah. you know, but that for a long time was Hollywood's idea of gay men being together on the screen, which, you know, Hollywood's had its homophobic narratives. Um, but, you know, as we're nearing the end, I do, you know, you don't need to get in depth about this, but I'm curious because, especially with what's happening, like you brought it up with the um, right wings trying to ban certain topics or, you know, the catchphrases they have about banning books and ideas like Rainbow Boys and your other works, but like I've read up on Rainbow Boys has even been written about in research of being faced with school districts or libraries where parents objected to the material or the town people tried to protest against it. Like, how did you deal with that as an author? Or, I mean, I'm sure it's, you're still dealing with it um like do you actually speak out about it do you like take a stand about you know not that you have to defend what you're writing of course but do you use it maybe as a type of advocacy when there's these attempts to try to censor the material in rainbow boys yeah the 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 challenges and attempts at banning started pretty soon after the book came out um, because it was so so groundbreaking and uh, at first it was really scary and uh, but again through the support of my friends it's like I know this is a good thing you know you're you're making a difference and it's making people uncomfortable um, over time though I think I think a couple of things happen. One is the author. I'm usually not the first person to hear about this, and and I really admire, uh, you know, uh, teachers and librarians, and uh, especially school librarians more than uh, public librarians uh, are at the front of of these challenges mm. because they really are directed more at schools. And uh, you know, teachers and librarians are tremendous uh, free speech champions. So they're on the front lines. They're the ones who really defend these books have to defend them. And um, so that's one of the things I've experienced that, you know, my, my, uh, my advocacy, so to speak, is really in writing the books. And then it's, it's other people uh, who, you know, defend them. Uh, and, and that's fine. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not political, uh, in the sense of, you know, of going out there. I do get invited to speak about, you know, book and, and challenges, and I love speaking to groups about it, um, but not, you know, uh, more politically involved than, than mo most people vote and, and uh, you know, certainly speak my voice, but uh, yeah, my, my, my thing is writing. <laughs> yeah, well, and you bring these ideas, like in my opinion, your advocacy is similar to like me having this interview with right. interview right now is everyone listening is going to learn about LGBTQ re representation. And like, that's a really empowering takeaway, but like in my GSA, which there were always about 30 of us in the room, I went to a very large high school in Jersey, but um, it was wonderful. Cause we actually would reference literature and you know, your trilogy came up. So there's something powerful of passing around a book like Rainbow Boys, right? And, you know, I want to thank you, Alex, because in my opinion, your legacy has been to really allow queer youth to feel comfortable and come out and empower them. So I think we owe a lot to you, Alex, 
for oh, what you've you. done. Thank you so much. You know, and on that note, this has been a wonderful interview. I, you know, want to thank the, you know, you, Alex. Oh, also, can you please tell everyone your two, you mentioned the DC comic, but you also have another book that came out in 2021. Yeah, so I guess the, the comic was 2020, now that you're, you're mentioning it. So that was You Brought Me the Ocean from uh, DC Comics. And then uh, last year, The Greatest Superpower, which is a, a middle grade novel. And uh, it, it focuses on uh, twin teenage boys, uh, 13 year old boys whose uh, dad comes out as transgender. Wow. So that's the, the greatest superpower. Yeah, well, you know, you're continuing to bring voice to identities and people who really, you know, need to be talked about, respected, and just for there to be empathy and um, understanding about, you know, people who are different than you. So I appreciate that, Alex. And thank you so much for being here in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Well, thank you so much. You've been a great interviewer. Wonderful oh. questions. And yeah, and just to mention, if people want to find out more, they can go to alexsanchez.com. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia. Welcome to our summer season. We made it to summer 2022. I am here with Mary DePippi. Hi, Mary. Hello. I'm Andrew Rimby, the executive director. Mary DePippi is our chief contributor. Uh, Nicole Arguello is our marketing assistant. And Kimberly Dallas is our editor. So yay, our interns have positions. Okay. Yay. Um, please, please follow us on social media. We Mary posts so many creative things on her True Crime and Academia. How can they follow True Crime, Mary? At True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok. Okay. And then you can follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room and at Ivory Tower Boiler Room on, ready? Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Okay. And you can email us. Um, we love to get pitched some episode ideas. So to do that, if you're a publicist out there, maybe you want to get one of your authors on our show go to ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com. Uh, thank you to our audience, to our listeners. We're really excited because we have a lot going on on our Patreon. So Mary, do you want to maybe update everyone on our Patreon account? Yes. Yeah, so aside from the content that we've already been giving you, we will also be having extra special episodes. Um, specifically for true crime, I will be having an extra bonus episode every month starting in June. <gasps> Yay. You can and the only same, get yes. that if you are a subscriber. Yes. So patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. That's it. Just slash ivory tower boiler room. And Easy. we already have a lot of bonus material. First, there is a full episode um, with Ursula Klein in our book corner. So you're going to see all of these new special series that are going to pop up in the summer on ivory tower boiler room. Yes, Mary will do it too on True Crime and Academia. You can listen to a teaser on our podcast, but guess where the whole interview is? On our Patreon. So only a cup, not a cup, but a large cup of iced coffee um, at any of our favorite coffee companies. Um, you only have to pay $5 a month. So please join. We will recognize all of you who join. We'll shout you out during the summer. Um, you can see our video interviews too. And if you want to become an ivory tower, $15 a month, three cups of iced coffee, uh, member, you actually will get our tote bag, our t-shirt. Um, there's more, there's more. Oh, our mug. Cup. I'm drinking from our mug. <laughs> I should, <laughs> for everyone who will see this, I'm actually holding it up. It's a very cool mug. So we are so excited for all of you to join us this summer. I love hearing from all of you. I know Mary loves hearing from all of you. Direct mm -hmm. message us. We read them. And yeah, check out our social media because we post so many clips from the shows. And I started to kind of finesse my way around TikTok. So Mary sees mm -hmm. how excited I get when I know how to add music and all these filters. <laughs> so um, on that note, um, please, please join us for our 
Instagram events this summer. We have a monthly book club every month. We have our book club and we're going to start having television recaps. Um, we're going to have another open mic poetry event at Pen and Brush. So stay tuned. I think we might have a Halloween party, but just someone told me that. Okay. A little birdie. A little birdie. Okay. I think we got it all, Mary. So I think so. On that note, let's put a bookmark in this. Yep. Bye, everyone. This time around